0: Hi, you're listening to Chip Chat. Today, I talked to Wendy March, a principal engineer and research director at Intel about what goes into designing future generations of Intel Evo PCs. And spoiler alert, our conversation didn't include any mention of core count or clock speeds. The teams that Wendy March works with looks at everything that goes on around the PC, particularly the user and environment. So we're about a year uh, out from the launch of Intel Evo that came with last September's launch of 11th gen Intel core Tiger Lake. And at that time, we also unveiled uh, Intel Evo, a new brand, but it is something that's been years in the making. So today I have a guest with me, uh, Wendy March. Could you please uh, introduce yourself and tell us what you do at Intel?
1: Hi, Marcus. Nice to talk to you. So I am... Wendy March. I'm a principal engineer at Intel, but I'm also the director of our research and experience definition team. And we're part of the client platform and silicon architecture group within CCG. That's a huge number of acronyms. Um, But basically what I do is lead a team of researchers and designers. And we work with architects to define our future platforms. So we Go out and talk to people and understand how they're using technology and then how we want to design our platforms. Like, what, what are like what's really important to them and what do we need to enable for them going forward? Um, that's what I do.
0: So principal engineer at Intel, I know these are some of the smartest people I've ever talked to at at Intel. So (laughs) when people think of engineers at Intel, they think of people who design the transistors or the chips or the systems and the power supplies and the power deliveries, but you do something uh, quite a bit different, everything that you've said. So could you tell us more about, you know, this is a different type of engineering role um, than the ones that most people think about?
1: Yeah. And I think that's, um, part of being a principal engineer is a technical title and so it's a little bit funny for me really that I've I've become an honorary engineer Um, but it's a recognition of what we do as being a technical role so we sit in a very technical team and it's um, about being a a technical contributor to the team so um, I'm focused on um, both user research and user experience definition. Um, and that that's what I bring to that technology. Um, really thinking about what needs to, um, to go into our technology. How do we design it to better support people's needs and desires?
0: I think that's exactly it, right? You can make the smartest technology in the world, but ultimately people have to use it. It has to be useful mm-hmm. for people. So uh, can you tell me about what that, um, what the role is of, uh, I assume, I I see it as like a social science, right? How do people mm-hmm. interface with technology? What is that uh, human machine interface? Um, yeah. you know, can you tell me about that research?
1: So we do, um, you know, Evo was our first big attempt at doing um, what we've now kind of described as an outside-in methodology. So kind of not just going well. We've got this technology. I bet it'll be useful for something, which tends kind of you know that's kind of very inside out method of, of trying to like we'll make it fit. But instead, saying you no, know, what what is happening in the world outside? So we we start with research. We would start with research. We have um, trained anthropologists on my team, and they go out and do different types of research. Sometimes it's kind of longer. Um, or or sort of more exploratory research, just kind of really understanding um, what people's lives are like, how are they using technology, uh, what's different maybe about being – for for Evo, it was about understanding what's different about being an independent consultant, for instance. So you have this life – this was pre-pandemic, so when we first started research, kind of thinking – People who are very mobile, who are working from many situations, going out and about, um, and they don't have the kind of infrastructure that we do to depend on. Um, Well, that's kind of slightly less now because we're at home, so we don't have IT at home. And, you know, you're you're moving between um, maybe an office that's not yours. You're moving to a cafe, a a customer site, um, maybe working from home. And you really have to sort of plan your day. You have to take a, your kit with you, think about what you need, and you really have to rely on on that technology every moment. So we really wanted people um, to think about how we made that work for people, how we really made sure that our laptops were always ready. The idea of being always ready when they were became really important, and we wanted to communicate. The situations that people were in—what like, was that really going to mean? What you know, that that moment when you get into um, a customers, uh, you know, working with a customer and you need to present and you can't connect and you're fumbling around on the floor—and that that moment that everyone's had—and is always kind of embarrassing and a bit difficult. And and it's like we want we want people to, to feel confident and to feel that they can really trust. Um, our laptops to to be there when they need them.
0: So these personas you've created, like the one that you just described, um, were these just assumptions that that the the team has made or was there some real study of real people behind these personas?
1: Oh, absolutely. Our research takes different forms. And from um, the personas that we created originally for for Evo and Athena, we we had multiple studies. So we had one um, sort of international study that we did with independent contractors. And then we had others where we looked at students and people working from home, um, really. Um, and it was also drawing upon my colleague, Mel Gregg's research, which she'd done over years, looking at um, people's working from home practice. So really understanding just that, that kind of tight relationship that people have. and we. In order to create design personas, you do bring together kind of multiple research, um, research sources so that you don't just have, like, it's not just markers and, and just markers, you know, markers. We, we try to bring those things together um, to exemplify different aspects of, of our findings. So as we look for insights within the research and then kind of think, well, what, like, what is most important so we put together a um, design personas, and then we put together a day in the life um, and that, that shows kind of both what they're doing, the technology they're using, uh, and what they're trying to get done. Um, and that's kind of an important process for us.
0: So what was the the scale of the research and the interviews and the personas it um, was a sample size and and how many different personas did did you uh, create?
1: That's actually quite a tricky question to answer because we based it on on multiple studies. But one of the big studies we did um, early on in Evo was, I think we talked to about 30 to 40 people. So it's not just kind of a survey. We actually go out and talk to people. We follow them around. We go home with them um, and follow them into cafes and kind of watch what they're doing often. So it's, it's, it's more in-depth. Um, it's qualitative research. Sometimes backed up with quantitative, so we where we'll ask surveys. Um, So it's kind of it's not about numbers so much as kind of depth. So we went in that case we were in the US, um, we went to Sweden and we went to China um, because we were still traveling. Um, So we we did that research there. Uh, We then have ongoing um, studies that we do maybe around particular things where we got very very focused on collaboration. And video conferencing is a really important thing that um, was kind of a key part of people's days that we wanted to improve. So then we did some very focused studies where, again, we went out and, and talked to people and and video conferenced with them and, and talked about kind of what worked for them and what didn't and how they collaborate. So um, we, we And we've done several of those as well. So kind of as we we kind of it go sometimes it's very broad and sometimes we'll kind of get like very very narrow into into particular research questions um that we want to answer
0: and it's it's uh interestingly here that you made the distinction between what is uh qualitative research and quantitative because in the chip Mm -hmm. business especially when i mentioned transistors earlier it's a very binary it's on or off but Mm -hmm. people are not binary right they're very they have different usage models i think the idea of um you know, back in the day, when they tried to measure the average chest circumference of a man to find the measurements of an average man to build uniforms and build military equipment to them, and they found that when you designed the average, you designed for nobody. Sorry, that is yeah. an interesting <laughs> aspect of of uh, of trying to design anything. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh Yes, and then you design for the average. You definitely design for um, a certain kind of average man, and definitely not a woman. Uh, the you know the two forms of research are actually interesting together because it helps you you have more confidence often in what you're saying you know like we've we've seen this we know that it matters to people so even um it's funny one of the first interviews i did looking particularly at video collaboration and we talked to a young woman who was based in san jose and she was related to a Um, she worked for a university actually in the northeast of um, the us and she so she was remote and actually remote from remote because they had a a west coast office and she was kind of just mostly working from home and she talked about how she had to you know have these meetings that would start really early in the morning like 6am because it was all east coast time and she'd be expected to be on video the whole time and how she was one of the first people i met who talked about what we now call zoom fatigue she was like you know it makes me really tired, and 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 no one was really talking about that. And so that was kind of really interesting. Sometimes you so you get these kind of individual insights, and then you go out back to more quantitative methods to sort of say, well, you know, is she alone in that? Is she's kind of completely unusual with her with her tiredness? Um, you know, but obviously it turned out that she was just a a very um, forward person in her in her zoom fatigue but it's kind of like just she was kind of embarrassed with admit that just kind of sitting there and having to be sort of watched and be kind of performing the whole time just exhausted her uh, you know we, we also met quite a lot of people who talked about um lighting and how just they struggled with with lighting and um I just kind of like whatever they did they just felt they it, like kind of they were in the dark and they looked unattractive <laughs> I just kind of, you know sympathize with um but just kind of like what you know what what do you do to make that work and how can we you know we how can we use you know our our technology to 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 kind of understand that image and and help people look better because really what you want to do if you if you're actually on video you want to try and look your best
0: as as we're very well practiced <laughs> these days, right? For those of yeah, you I watching try. the video version of this podcast, you can see that, but uh, you can you can pretty much imagine that after uh, you know a year and a half of working from home, this has <laughs> become uh, very used to it. Zoom fatigue is definitely a real thing, but um, I think we adapt, and I think that is one other hallmark that you talked about on uh, Evo is the the adaptability of mm-hmm. of the designs and the hardware. So the next question I have is: so you bring all these. You know, research findings. Um, how how do those translate to the technology, to the platform architects, to the engineers at Intel who uh, design these systems and work with our partners? How does how do those findings become uh, laptops or products?
1: So that's been really um, a very interesting part of our our new sort of outside in process and how we've moved from. You know take taking research and everyone going, mm, that's really interesting. Um actually moving it through a process of of definition and then through technical decomposition process. So how do we how do we actually kind of go, ah oh, that's an interesting thing. Maybe that's something we can fix or something that we can help with. And then really understanding that down to a level of detail where we know what the problem is, because you can't really solve it until you know what the problem is. And then um, kind of giving the requirements to actually fulfill that. So really a lot of what the research and definition work is, is actually giving detailed requirements, um, which then the engineers and architects can respond to and say, okay, this is how we're going to fix it. Um, So then we can say, as we we write, Big requirements documents, a lot of documentation. That um, you know, once we get all the way through to the end, actually, is it better? Like, did we solve that background noise problem? Uh, have we made the lighting better? And um, because we we want people to look look good, and that it has to work for everybody, and not just be washed out, for instance. Or um, you know, we've said that it the battery needs to last even while you're doing x hours of video conferencing or when you have um you know this kind of real life environment where people have browser open and they have a slack channel open and they're doing video conferencing and you know all this thing that's going on in their lives um that that's the real life situation that they're in so when we when we come up with a solution it needs to work in that situation It, it can't just be this sort of this like lovely technical solution but doesn't really actually improve anyone's life so i'm, I'm like really focused on making making people's lives a little bit better just by, i mean where i can so this is you know how can i make that experience better for people
0: of course and a lot of what you've described just to me just sounds like making a, a better computer right you're saying better cameras better microphones um more features uh a bigger or more efficient, a bigger battery or a a more efficient system. So, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, these are on all my wish lists for my next device to get better and better. Is there any of these requirements that you brought to the, you know, the engineers at Intel that either surprised them or something that wasn't on the roadmap, something they hadn't thought of that came from your research?
1: I think that's an interesting question because in, in some ways you're like, yeah like that's kind of obvious you know because you want those things but having having the research insight gives us all a really clear idea of exactly what we mean so when we just say oh it needs to be a better camera or you know is it but it's like why what are people actually trying to do and in what circumstance because you can't just go to an engineer it needs to be better because i'll say so in what way does it need to be better like what do you mean by it needs to be better like better like, they hate the word better so you have to get a bit more specific than that and give them much more context and i think one of the big things for me that uh, the the research and then the the work that emerges from that the you know the personas the def- the the kind of kept care- the sort of detailed scenarios and flows is that it gives everyone a very shared idea of exactly what the problem is that we're trying to solve. So it's not just make it better. You know, we can't work with that.
0: And of course, a lot of the research that you mentioned that you gathered was the pre-COVID-19 pandemic times. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, video conferencing then, um, we had no idea how important that would be for users today. Um, But have any of those learnings changed or morphed or shifted in any way, given that there's been such a radical change in how people uh, use their computers?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I think... um, A little bit thinking about your previous question about kind of surprise. One of the interesting questions and sort of debates that we would have prior to us all going home was, does anyone use video? I've frequently in meetings where people would just be like, well, nobody does video. But like, people do. People use video. You know, this is, this is, people are constantly using video, just you're not using video um, because Intel's not a very video culture. So we tend to see things very much in kind of our, our model. And we're like, yeah, that's, oh, nobody does that. Well, yeah, they do. And so trying to get people to see outside of their own experience into other people's lived experiences is, is really important there so you know so so the surprises are sometimes what people are- su- what people are surprised by is in and of itself surprising actually. um you know, it's just kind of re- realizing that yes, people use video or that people work in environments sometimes that are really, really noisy um and and so as we have now gone you know we've done this big shift into people working from home, primarily, um particularly in the u s. So what does that look like? In fact, it looks a lot more like the lives of a lot of people we were describing before. So these are not, people are now no longer sitting in offices with nice little phone booths that they can go off to uh, with lots of infrastructure and great Wi-Fi and nobody drilling downstairs. (laughs) So, you know, now they're all kind of at home having to deal with all of those things and being expected to be on video conference you know, all the time or on audio, audio calls, um, you know, with their kids also, and their partners also doing those things. And a lot of those, you know, it's not the same. It, it's obviously people are a lot less mobile, um, although they are sometimes mobile in their house as they search for a quiet space, but it's a lot more unpredictable for people. And it's a lot less controllable. So in that way, um, it's still incredibly relevant um it's just it's just different
0: great so even so even with it in mind that evo launched a year ago still in the midst of of the pandemic with um with 11th gen um your research and this whole uh you know evo's the brand but the work Mm -hmm. has been years in the making and you mentioned this this name earlier, and it's not the first time people have uh, heard from Intel Project Athena. But can you bring us back a little bit and tell me what is what's the relationship between Project Athena and Evo? How did one become the other?
1: So Project Athena were, um, was was this kind of big program internally. So that's kind of in some ways like half just start code name, but it's it's kind of the the whole um, sort of huge really group effort of bringing together people from all sorts of different disciplines, um, all sorts of, you know, different expertise to really say, how can we support our partners and our, our customers our, um, our, and the, the whole broad ecosystem to really make the PC experience better? How can we make um, just, just a, a laptop that really works um, brilliantly for people? How can, how can we make that experience just every day better? And you know that's that brought people from across Intel focused on like battery life and like instant on and how to make um, sensors that work better and screens and you know making things everything work in a more seamless way. And really, um, so that that was a, that was a big effort. I suppose it's been going on about three years now. So we, we'd all been working away on that before we launched the brand. <laughs> we'd just been doing it for a while, but more quietly. Uh, and then Evo is the external brand of that so that's the that's the the big um sort of partnership with our customers and it's it's about also evo is about a um a sort of specification and, and like a guarantee to you know if you buy that um you buy that evo la- laptop it it meets certain requirements and we have a whole team that that, that is based on on measuring that like we we set specifications we spec. Set requirements um, within our specifications for how fast different things have to be, how long the battery life will be, um, and then we work with all our all our partners to make sure that um, those devices meet those requirements. So um, it is, you know, it's a brand in that way. So that's it's a very it's it's the thing you get in your hands, but but Project Athena is is the team of people that make that happen.
0: Speaking of. Getting product in hands, one of my personal favorites is the uh, Samsung Galaxy Book Pro. Um, love it. It's 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 a uh, I think one of my favorite Evo devices. But one thing to me I've noticed as a trend with all Evo devices is, aside from being just fantastic and uh, beautiful, they're they're thin, right? They're made for mm-hmm. the person who's on the go, uh, yeah. long battery life. Um, but it is for. Kind of what we call you know the ultra portables the ultra books a, a term that Intel's coined in the past but there are so many different types of PC users out there right device mm-hmm. users they ha- there are um, gamers right that either who have big desktops or people who want gaming laptops now Evo has been very focused on kind of the the thin and light segment was that just the the um, the scope of the research, or does this research actually encompass more? And kind of the the um, road warrior uh, or <laughs> at home worker these days is is kind of the the main focus. How, what's the extent and the the breadth of of the human centric research? Uh,
1: so that has has been really interesting. So as you say, we started with Athena, and and Intel's had um, social science and, and um, kind of other user focused um approach actually for a long time and you know we've, we've been in different parts of the organization we've we've kind of tried to tackle this problem um from from some different directions before um uh, and, and been focused on 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 different problems like we have a a, um, a big group of, of researchers and designers who focus on developer problems for instance so this kind of specific um kind of practice of of trying to like really focus on that whole laptop experience right down to the platform and silicon level for um for athena has turned out um, actually to be very successful so we then kind of expanded that so when i said back at the beginning that i'm part of uh, research and experience definition for our client um, platforms we do that across the different segments so i have um researchers and and designers who are focused on gaming and um, who are focused on on creators who are focused on education and you know and there's a crossover there so those some of those beautiful evo systems are bought by people who are creators some of them are bought by um you know students probably more higher education students but you know kind of they're not they're not super distinct um in that way for people, you know, the people we, we ha- we wear many, many hats as we, as we move between our lives. So, um, but it definitely is an, a, an approach that we're bringing to more areas of our work within Intel that we can say, okay, let's, let's really think about what those requirements are and how do we design, um, how do we enable the platforms of the future? Because I think it's really interesting to think about, um, you know, the kids who are going to college now um, will be entering the workforce in four years. So, th- as we're designing silicon that's going to be ready in four years, in like twenty-five, we need to be ready for them. You know, it, it's going to be emerging at the same time. So, understanding the things that they're doing now, the things that they're starting to do, um, you, you know, with that that's important to us because, you know, how you kind of learn often. Often in kind of college and in your first few work experiences, you know that the growth of of cloud-based collaboration has been happening for a long time, and it, it's a lot driven by um, sort of the, the experiences of people within education.
0: So what I'm hearing from you is, you know, Project Athena is an ongoing project. Even though we launched Evo, this is not a one and done. The work continues, and um, I, I know I asked this a little bit earlier. Um, but I'm I'm curious that yes, a, l- a lot of the definitions and requirements that you built in pre-pandemic are relevant today. But has the pandemic forked any of that research or brought you down a different road that you weren't expecting? I mean, of course, everyone's lives have changed, but has it, you know, um, has it changed the course of of the original, I guess, the the path of research and the intent?
1: as you say it tends it it, you know it is ongoing so we we talk a lot about the research we did right at the beginning um but we do that um we do we've done big studies each year uh looking at some of the different aspects that that people are are focused on in their lives so so i think what has what maybe not necessarily forked but the way we've done research has changed we've been forced to do it virtually like you know everything happens now by the by the screen we 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 do sort of video based um interviews with people um which has been really interesting actually we don't we we do these kind of um sort of multi um part things where we we talk through with people what they're doing and they we give them exercises like diary kind of exercises to do but it is virtual um so that has a has one benefit in the sense that we don't um you know, we can see people in multiple different places. It's not depending on where we where we travel to. Um, you know, I I don't love it as much. Uh, I I miss that that being being with people and particularly with people you don't know and uh, you, you just ask them different things when you can see their lives differently. So I, I kind of I I miss that. I know my whole team misses that hugely. So that, you know, that that way has changed. Um, but we still continue to do, um, you know, cycles of research. We didn't just kind of do it and go, oh, yeah, we know a book about that. It, it, it changes. So that has been really interesting in what we learn, like how we learn new things. We got very, very focused on working from home, obviously, and what that looked like for people. Um, you know, I think it has, you know, how, how people juggle things and how people change and think about the devices that they have, for instance, in their homes has been really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things, of course, is that not everybody has, you know, has the privilege I have of this, I have a lovely office and this is my office at home and I have a space and um, I can shut everyone out, including the cats, you know, but that, but not everyone has that, that, you know, that, that ability. And, um, you know, So, and often people talk a lot about Having to sort of put things away, and we, we'd already seen that. But I think realizing that actually it's much a much bigger issue for people. That you know, they ideally people have a big display, but not everybody does because it feels like an imposition of work. So if you have, if you if you work in your living room or in your bedroom, you might not want that big work thing sitting in the corner. You know, so just kind of how how you connect different devices, how you sort of kind of fold and unfold and set up your workplace so that you can put it away. Um, I think that's that's been really interesting for, for us and thinking about how devices work together. Um, so so we're continuing to think about that and, and how important that is for people in multiple different ways. Um, and then just kind of, I think something that, you know, obviously, We were thinking about collaboration and video collaboration beforehand, and it's become like hugely important. Um, You know, camera on, camera off—like, you know, people have very different kind of thoughts about that. But I think one of the really interesting things is the idea of kind of um, the idea of sort of inclusivity and meeting equity that I think has come to the to the foreground. So as we as we're thinking about going back into the workplace sometimes and some people and not everyone and then really not everyone was ever there you know so like how do you really bring some of the things that have actually been great about being remote um, if, if we have people going back into offices and like like how do you how do you design for that how do you understand that experience and actually design for it in a way that people are going to be able to use so if you're still um you know someone on my team is in arizona and some people are in california and some people are in oregon and they you know even in california they're not you know they're not all in the same o- office even so the occasions at which we'll all be physically in that same room you know i'm like i don't even know when that will happen and i think that's people recognizing that um for their their own experience and realizing that, of course yes that was true before um we see it in education too that people are kind of like well you know the kids have gone back to school but but maybe those you know that class is having to stay home or those children are having to stay home and what what's that going to look like how do we enable everybody to be to be part of that um, and that's been it's been a huge benefit for people actually um, in the last kind of year for some people that they've probably been better, more included than they've ever been because they were at home before um, and they, they didn't want to be the person at the front with a post-it note maybe. So how 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 do we actually continue to make that work and not just kind of drop some of those things that, that did work for people? Um, you know, it's having to be able to have captions. Um, it, it's really helpful for people either because um you know their their first language is not the language of the meeting or the conversation um it doesn't necessarily have to be about translation it can just be like i can't quite hear you or i'm, I'm i can't quite concentrate um how do we you know or i, I want to take notes um you know so how do we how do we make that a better experience how do we realize that you know how do you, if you think about the visual experience and um um you know my team's also thinking a lot about accessibility and inclusion uh, and how do we kind of think about that across our different platforms
0: that that's um just going back to when i asked how did the research start and you said you followed real people uh to coffee shops or you know frequent travelers who might be waiting at the uh you know airport terminal or at the gate and then working on the airplane and now all of a we
1: sudden, we don't follow them on planes. Oh, don't follow
0: them on planes. <laughs> well, I, what if, what if they are going to Hawaii? I mean, I would. I'll, I'll volunteer to follow some uh, mobile workers to to Hawaii. Um, but the the pandemic, I mean, as unfortunate as as it is, I think has sounds like it's been a boon to the the research and the kind of the different types of environments you see people in inside their homes. If you if, before you even could couldn't get a good look in their home. Um, I think maybe the the data that you're gathering about what some people's workspace, as you said, some people may not have a dedicated workspace, and they're working through different environments and challenges and cats and children and dogs and all that all that sort of thing. So I think that that has um, definitely helped and uh, one thing that you mentioned, and I'm glad you did is um, could you tell me a little bit more about the accessibility? Uh, considerations and the in- inclusion. How do we make this technology not just work for people who go to coffee shops or work at home among cats, but people who uh, have different accessibility needs? How is that being studied and addressed?
1: Um, yeah, so that is, you know, with it, it, as part of our um, Intel's RISE 2030 initiative, um, incl- I is, in, you know, in- inclusion there. So we're trying to um, tackle that in sort of different different ways. So there are some particular um, sort of uh, bits of research that we are doing. Um, so uh, Sue and, and Sarah on my team are both kind of very um, engaged in this. So you know sometimes that's a particular um, idea around um, a, te- a sort of technological approach to maybe to sort of you know like um you know can can we can we think about different ways of representing the visual information on the screen for instance so that we're actually reading the bit that you want to to know about not just kind of like let's read it all to you like how you know understanding the way that people um with, with visual um impairment kind of how do they kind of read the screen um, and then how do, know can can we do that better can we do that in a way that actually is more helpful and more efficient for them and what would that be like
0: okay so you've brought us to present day where we are uh what (laughs) what does the future hold what's next for you know evo or project athena or even even the work that you do the really interesting work that you do
1: so for um particularly around evo um we've we've been really looking at um Sort of kind of expanding expanding some of those those personas. Um, we were very very focused on the sort of the more um, independent um, professional. Um, kind of really, we in the last sort of year or so, we've we've really been looking at um, our more enterprise workers. What that means in the sort of the idea of the agile enterprise, for instance. So kind of really think about that. Um, and then we're you know we're looking to. You know, kind of how do we how do we bring things like sort of um, you know understanding more about our kind of higher education users, for instance, um, really thinking about students, and then we we talked um, at one point really about kind of the way that people's kind of work split up, and so you know we do annual research, but one of the things that we we look at is trying to have like a different lens on each time. Um, so we've looked at how people do sort of um, more kind of casual creation task, for instance, which is sort of interesting, and one of the things we 're about to start looking at is kind of how do people organize their lives, which is one of you know we 're always interested in the things I think that people don't talk about uh, like the the, the, mo- the less obvious things that you they, that that are actually really interesting but that they they don't think to talk about, so working out how people kind of um you know sort of organize their home lives and their work lives how do they kind of measure time um particularly if they have to build time or, or kind of organize projects and divide time and you know how do they how do they um share different things that they're doing with others um and and work synchronous synchronously and asynchronously so um we, we have a lot of questions and, and things that we don't want to know, that we don't know about, um, that we want to know more about. Uh, and as I say, it's often those kind of those quiet things that people do in the background. That's what we want to know about.
0: Well, Wendy, I, that's been a fabulous conversation. Uh, I think we're we're around um, at time, and I just want to thank you again. It's been a super refreshing conversation. As much as I love <laughs> speeds and feeds, this is one that's been thoroughly enjoyable. Without talking about, you know, gigahertz or overclocking, nothing wrong. With those do love those conversations, but this has been a very nice change. And of course, thank you. I thoroughly enjoy uh, my Evo laptop. So you've you've made a you've made a better computer. You've contributed to you know Intel's goal in making better computing. So I, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for your time.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Marcus. Bye.
0: Subscribe to Intel Chip Chat wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes drop.